Hi, I'm Thomas Cross Hoops, and I'm a seeker of truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In my pursuit of truth, truth found me, and now I can't stop following him. Join me and my guests as we pursue truth together. It's become my catchphrase, but I'm excited. I've got Pastor Jordan and Sonia Tetley on. Um, We're doing a late night one so we all could put our kids to bed. And they are greeting us from Canada somewhere. Go where? (laughs) Yeah, somewhere in Canada. It doesn't really matter. On a beautiful property. (laughs) Where's the closest big city you need? Closest big city is London. Okay. London, London, Ontario. So, yeah, we're about a couple hours from Toronto. And Jordan and Sonia were my pastors in Beijing, China, where I served for a few years. And, I mean, their story is amazing. They were a young, uh, newlywed couple that went on the missions field. And that's really how I wanted to start this. You guys mean so much to me. You have four beautiful children. You you know, you've done so much beyond your years at, at such a young age. Um, and we're similar in age. And you were, you were in your 20s. Um, when you went and pastored in China, but how, how did that all start? How did you guys meet and fall in love and then end up on the missions field? I'm curious because I can't remember all the details. Okay, well, um, you want to start? Sure. So um, I never thought I was going to be in ministry, so I was planning to go to graphic design school. I wanted to become an art director, and I was visiting um, Catch the Fire, which was called Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. Yeah. And they, I was just attending a service and they had a student that came up on the stage and he just shared his testimony. And I had this experience where I heard God's voice almost audibly. I've only had this twice in my life. Um, and all I heard was God say, Sonia, I want you to go to the school. And it totally freaked me out because I actually already paid my deposit on my tuition for college. I planned, I was ready to go in the fall. And God was telling me I needed to go to this uh, ministry school. And so I kind of fought him for about three weeks. And I said, you know, I'm not going to do it. But every time I was in church, every time I tried to worship, every time I tried to pray, the same phrase kind of came in my mind, Sonia, I want you to go to the school. So I eventually um, gave in to God. I ended up going to this ministry school. But I told God, I'm giving you six months and then I'm going back to the career I want to pursue Six months later, I just knew that God was calling me into ministry, and I never went um, back to design school. Um, The next semester, the following year, that's where I met Jordan, and um, we started to date, and uh, we got married after we finished our bachelor's degree, and three weeks later, we ended up in China. Yeah, very short. um, Very short. Yeah. That's a very short. Your Bible school in the early 2000s, or... Yeah, it was 2001, 2002. We were around there. So we we started off at the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. They had a Bible school program. And um, I think at first we were not really um, thinking we were going to date each other. We just ended up doing the same paper, and I I needed some information for the paper. You got a better mark than me, I have to say that. So I was back then just typing and getting some information, and... But we ended up doing the same paper on, um, it was on Isaiah and Amos on the poor. So that was how we started kind of chatting. Before that, we really didn't have anything um, to do with each other. And there was a lady beside me in the Bible school program. She had gone back to school and she had said, um, she leaned over to me one day and said, you should, you should think about going after Sonia as, um, 
you know, if you're going to pursue someone. So that's that put kind of put the seed in my heart to go pursue Sonia. And um, we ended up going to China, but we we had thought that we would actually, when I asked Sonia to marry me, and I asked permission from her parents, we thought we would go to Korea and teach English. Heard that was an easy way to make money. Um, and then and, we would go to China after was our plan. Yeah. And uh, we had a visiting missionary, Chris Bowman, and he came um, to Canada. We took him out for lunch, and then he asked us this question. He said, what is God asking you to do? And um, we knew in our heart it was China. So we changed plans right away, started to apply for jobs. And then that was the church in Beijing was a church plant, and they asked us to come on and as youth pastors, the only catch is there was no youth. I think there was one. <laughs> there, there were, there were one that that was there. Pastor Don? Yeah, Pastor yeah. Don. I so, want to have him on. He's yeah, so he cool did. that we got to visit him here in Florida now. And my yeah. wife and I hung out with him and his wife. And I thought it was so funny because they were so similar. And me and Don were so similar. These outgoing, talkative guys. It was hilarious. Well, it's amazing um, people, um, how they pursue you, right? Some people and how an individual can make such a big impact in your life mm -hmm. by giving you an opportunity or just pushing you into something that you wouldn't normally go to right like now looking back if someone asked me to go to china I, I think i'd be like no way <laughs> i don't think so i'm not interested now you were there for a long time what um, year was it that you first went we were there 2003 so we stayed all the way through to 2016 so yeah. we were there you just took over the church as lead pastors yeah. in 2005 or what yeah was that? so 2005 so you pastors. yep I met you guys in 2006, and I was on my outreach with my YWAM DTS from the Netherlands. So we came and spent three months in Beijing, and God just connected us right away with the River of Grace Church and all of the ministries that you were a part of, and Longfang, and the, the foster homes. And I fell in love. That picture, I'll have to put it on the website when I put your page up of... I'm just standing there with Jordan and Albert just crying. Like I, I was heartbroken. I did not want to leave... I felt, I knew God was calling me to return, and so I ended up serving 2007 and 8 on staff and supporting, yep. and I learned so much. Um, on one of my podcasts, I referred to how Pastor Jordan, you know, we would do these projects, and we were busy, and we'd really work our butts off for like two, three months, but whenever we were in between projects, he made us, you know, take time to read in the office and do quiet times, and focus on the Lord. And I, that was such an example to me because now I know that when you're in between projects, when you have a little bit of time, that's when you should be reading books and, you know, spending that special time with the Lord. And I love that. So that was 2006. So from 2003 to six, you started teaching English, started connecting with the church right away. Yeah. So we, we first went and got an awful jobs. Um, and we did had no idea how we were going to get out of this contract because it was a two-year contract but it was really awful working conditions and um, <laughs> miraculously um, the Lord released us from that job and and we just started teaching English and that's how we we formed the first um, youth group we uh, taught Korean students um, mm -hmm. just as tutoring so we got one friend of ours knew that we had left our job at the school we were teaching at she said I've got one Korean student um, would you like to take this student on while you're looking for another job? And we said yes, and they liked us so much. Within like a week, our whole schedule was filled, and we were making more than what we were teaching just by tutoring. Great. 
Wow. Uh, and you were basically newlyweds, right? You were literally newlyweds <laughs> figuring life out. Yeah. It, yeah, it was, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. Like, I think we grew really close during that time yeah. um, because it was so difficult. I remember um, one time his friend visited um, in January and we'd been there about six months. And I remember just crying when he <laughs> left. And Jordan was like, why are you crying? It's not even your friend. Um, but just the culture shock and, and missing home and not making friends yet. Um, cause at that time there, most of the people in the church were in their forties, um, or they had young kids. And so it was really a huge adjustment for us, but I think God used that situation to really yeah. deepen our love for each other. And also for him that we really had to rely on God as we kind of went through that culture shock and missing home and yeah, all there's so things. many lessons you learned in that time. And I used to hear you preach all the time. So I would hear some of your original stories. So, so ultimately you're stepping out in faith, you're on the missions field, but you're, you end up serving on staff at an international church, which by the time I'm there in 2006, you'd been pastoring, I guess, almost over a year. So that's a lot of responsibility for people in their maybe mid to late 20s, I think, when you took over pastoring. Yeah. And you learned a lot. And one of the things I think you guys did a great job of doing was always staying you know, open to what the Holy Spirit's saying, not 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 putting walls around what you're doing, but being very, you know, I remember being a part of some things where we went a whole different direction because you kind of realized maybe we went off track there and we, you were always willing to be course correct, I guess is what I'm looking for. And tell me a little bit about how you, you know, some of the things that you did when you first um, were on staff or started pastoring that, you know, how some lessons you learned that you wouldn't have learned maybe if you weren't on the missions field living by faith. I think when, when we first took over being pastors, um, we were really excited. I can remember going to this one meeting with all these different, it was this um, church celebration. So it was like all these different churches together. And uh, one of the big senior pastors of one of the big churches came over and congratulated us on um, taking the job. And then he said to me, you know, when I first heard that you and Sonia were going to take over, I just, I couldn't believe it that you were so young. And I'm like, I can't believe you're sharing this with me. Uh, and uh, but he said, then the Lord reminded me, I forget who it was, some missionary, but he had, he had his own personal revelation, right? But I can remember thinking like, um, <laughs> we, we knew that we didn't know what we were doing, but I didn't think of it as such an odd thing because we really felt it was the Lord that had opened the door for us to yeah. uh, pastor. So Actually, I remember during those times, we used to tag team preach together. We don't do that as often now because we have lots of kids. So doing that is a little bit of a challenge. But I remember like knowing most of the people, like I said, in the church were in their 40s. And we were just like 25. And I remember saying to God, like, oh, dear God, help us to know what to preach. What do you preach when you're 25 years old? You don't have life experience to people in their 40s. Um, and we would be on our face before God, knowing that we needed God to show up like every single week <laughs> and realize that like, yeah, we had been to Bible school, but we didn't have the experience. We didn't yeah. have um, the years of even wisdom of living, right? How do you pastor somebody that's like double your age? Yeah. Um, but God was so faithful. And I, th- I actually really miss those times because we were so aware of how much we needed God. And I think that's yeah, a really yeah. precious time to be in your life to know that, okay, God, I need you to show up. Yeah. yeah. And we, we didn't actually take it. I think any person that came to church, 
we didn't take it for granted. It was quite, um, we felt like it was the Lord because it wasn't yeah. us or anything. It felt like God, they were coming because of um, the anointing and because they were yeah. being touched by the Holy Spirit and because they want something more, not because of the um, fancy worship or yeah. because we yeah. were the best teachers at all. In fact, I realized later on, like when Sonia B was pregnant with our first um, daughter in 2007, I realized that she must have wrote most of the sermons when I look back at the notes there. Because when I started to use my own notes, I was like, these don't look quite the same as these good teaching notes that we used to have. But we loved kind of working together. And I, th I think a lot of it was just like, you, you just give yourself over to the Holy Spirit and you're just asking him to, to move yeah. in. And even some of the things that you remember, it's, it wasn't, I can honestly say it wasn't planned. It wasn't like read and like, yeah. Oh, during the low times we spent time with the Lord. It was just, I think it was just something that, but that was natural. That yeah. wasn't, yeah, yeah, that wasn't planned. And, and that's one of the things the the church was such a community. Um, by the time I showed up in 2006, there's maybe some of the core families, the Weisses and the shoots and, Albert and Wingy and those core families were just beautiful. The way that they, we did life together. It was a true community. And there were people from many African nations, from different Asian nations. And to put into context for, for anybody listening, um, technically in China, they couldn't have, like local Chinese couldn't come to these international churches. These international churches were for the expats. They were for foreigners. And you know, you could come from Singapore and Hong Kong, but not, you weren't supposed to be mainland, um, mainland China. And, you know, that was something that, you know, it was just beautiful how he knit together these cultures. It was like the kingdom of heaven. They were from all over, even, even refugee from Iraq and mama. And just, that was such a powerful time that we poured into people's lives and we brought people food and we, we did life outside of church and it, it was awesome, you know, yeah. coming from a YWAM background and from, um, you know, DTS. And it was like, I didn't skip a beat, you know, we just kept it going over there. And that was awesome. It was so cool to see how you led this. I always called it like the smaller spirit filled church versus the bigger, more seeker friendly, more, you know, they do the great job at that church of blending many denominations and not stepping on anyone's toes. But if you came to the river, you could have an encounter with the Lord and be on your face and feel his presence and, you know, go through deliverance and yeah. <laughs> whatever. So, yeah. That was uh, one of the unique things about China. It's actually, I shouldn't say just China, but it was a lot of people coming from different countries, right? And, and North America is much more, um, we have our denomination and then we even have within our denomination, we have our different groups within yeah. that denomination, right? And so... Um, there wasn't as much choices in Beijing. There was really only, um, at that time, I think only three or four it's churches. Like a Korean church. There yeah. was like a small, yeah. There was, there was one Baptist church and then there was, so there wasn't many. And so it was really like um, people brought their culture, they brought their experiences, um, but we still had to be together. And so you would have a big mix of different styles um, yeah. different preferences and we, we learned a lot we learned a lot about different countries and how um, they worship and how how little we actually knew about the world I thought like coming from Canada we kind of were very international we think we know about the world but being there here in countries yeah. Yeah. we just didn't even know about and um, hearing people's stories and hearing um, where they came from their life experiences it was just really eye-opening um, and I think here, I probably can get it here if we talk more to people, but I think it's, 
um, harder to break in different circles, and it's harder to ask questions. I think we're worried about offending people. Where yeah, if you yeah. you could ask people right away, there, where are you from? Which here could be offensive, or you know what language you speak, or different things where um, you didn't have any bad connotations there. You could just yeah. ask whatever questions, and it wasn't wasn't being like, oh, you don't belong, or you're not here, or yeah. why you're asked, you're being insensitive. So. That was great that you could learn a lot and you were free to ask questions and, and we kind of we would also go back and forth differences between Canada and America um, spending time talking about it which sometimes we don't get that dialogue even within um, our churches yeah and one of the I mean I just have so many memories of the time but it, it was ultimately like the church was our reason for being there or our you know yeah. our community but that was like a job like nine to five. The, the way we ministered to the city was we, we, we were, you know, we adopted our drivers. We adopted the cleaning crews at the hotels because they were allowed to be in the room. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. poured yeah. into everybody we could. We, we had the, the families in Longfong that had orphanages. And it was just, there was always projects, always things to do. We, we you know, you led by example, having faith. Um, it was somebody in Singing Waters in Canada that said this, but you know, it's how you lived your life. It was a, 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 a budget-based, a vision-based budget, not a budget-based vision. And you would get the vision, and we would figure out how to do it. We weren't worried about the budget, and the money would come. And there were some tight times, though, but God was always <laughs> yeah. faithful. And the, yeah. the one project we did was um, working with the Liberian embassy to, uh, I mean, you guys later on built orphanages and did more, but the first trip was just bringing over a container full of 10,000 backpacks. And, you know, we had the crew for weeks in the office just filling up those backpacks. And then Jordan led a team. I got to go on in 2008 um, to Liberia. And that was such an awesome trip. And during that time, there was an earthquake. So when we got back to Beijing, we went right on a medical trip to the earthquake in, in China. So there was just always something going on. And yeah. even though we were there as part of this small, you know, I always say like a hundred person, small international church, it was like such a footprint of, of reaching people in the city because the Sunday service was just the reason we were allowed to be in China. That wasn't the ministry. The ministry was literally our daily lives and, you know, just connecting with people. It was awesome. Um, so, so many good memories. But you were there way longer than me. So I sort of, I had a Bible school to go to and right after the Olympics, the last three months of 2008 in Amsterdam. So yeah. I was pretty much out and um, don't know anything that happened. I heard the well, uh, after, got worse um, and tell me about from after the Olympics yeah. until you left at 2016. So after the, the Olympics, things changed quite a bit, but we were trying to figure out how to actually stay in China because um, for a lot of missionaries, we were on these visas that pretty much were being eliminated, which you couldn't mm-hmm. get anymore. And so... We'd had one um, missionary say, why don't you open up um, a cultural center? And I think that's where, um, if I was to say a theme of things, is that God keeps sending individuals, right, that will push us in the right direction, even if we don't know what to do. Um, He always sends someone to encourage us or someone to give us a little boost or push us somewhere um, and just say, you should try this out, right? So, and, And sometimes those individuals don't even remember um, what they said to us, or we might not even remember how we got somewhere. This is cool that we can go back and kind of remember some of the stories of how we get to certain places. But that's how that's our journey for us to open up a community center. But it was a revisioning. I think um, my dad often talks about how 
in business, and this can also be in churches, how things have kind of a growth curve and then plateau. And then if you don't reinvent yourself or get a fresh vision, you know, you start the decline. It can be a slow decline sometimes. It can be 30, 40 years of decline. Um, but revisioning. So I think in 2010, that was a revisioning. We opened up a community center, which um, we weren't sure if we'd be allowed to. Um, Sonia ran that, and then I was running the church. So she had kids every day coming in. and um, Part part of uh, our heart in that season was we were pastoring an international church in China. Because of legalities, it was really hard to actually minister to locals and mm-hmm. share the love of Jesus with them. And so through this community center, um, we ran English programs, we ran a mommy and me, we ran a preschool eventually. We had a coffee shop with play, a playground, and the community actually would come into the church Monday to Saturday as a community center. Um, and it was really cool how God operated. He would always, like we had this mom and me class where the moms came with their toddlers. And without us planning, God always planted another believing mom in the class. And without us doing anything, she would evangelize all the other moms. And they were getting plugged into house churches. People were getting saved. And it was just this beautiful kind of organic thing that was happening um, that God kind of had a season for us as a church um, where we were actually, as an international church, really able to impact the community where the church was planted, um, which was always a challenge um, for the international church to do um, because of the legal restrictions there. And so, yeah, that was kind of a really different season, but it was really exciting um, just to know that God had given us that window. You know, a lot of things have changed there um, since that season, and I don't think we would be able to do what we were doing then now, um, but I'm so grateful that God gave us that window that there's people that heard about Jesus and received him because of that center. That's awesome. Yeah, did you have all four of your kids while you were over there? No, we had three. three. We had three. But two were born there. They were actually, um, you know, I came in 2007 and they opened their home. I think it was between three and six months that I lived with you, maybe three months before you helped me. Jordan found me an awesome place pretty close, so that was cool. And I got to be there while you were pregnant and be there when beautiful Anna Marie was born. And um, that was awesome to... Yeah. to you know, she became a church baby, babies, right? So, yeah, holding the baby and helping her go to bed. And, you know, you guys were new parents. It was fun. It was uh, good times. It reminds me of, like, when my parents talked about their, you know, they were in the Jesus movement, and then they lived in community, and then they had all these families all having kids at the same time. And there was a bunch of babies in the church at that time, too, so it was neat. It was, it was cool. Yeah, Anna Marie kind of came to us. Um, we weren't planning on having kids until much later in life because, you know, like young people, we were like, well, let's just have fun. We're just going to, you know, have fun forever and not not have kids way later on. And um, But it was the Lord that was kind of prompting us to say, like, you've given over every part of your life except this one. And, um, and that's what God had spoken to um, Sonia and then... But I wasn't saying anything because I was still within one kids. And then um, one day she was like, what has God been speaking to you? And so finally I said, He was okay. silent and said nothing. And then the next day he shared what God was speaking to him. Yeah. So I think being obedient is like you just, when God's speaking to you, God's uh, challenging you. 
I think we all know that feeling of when God's challenging us, asking us to do something, and then we're like, I don't know if we want to do that, you know? And um, yeah. sometimes we, we can definitely talk ourselves out of doing things that we should be doing, great yeah. things yeah. that would be a big help to us. And one of the things, Anna was a big help to us because having this cute little baby in yeah. China, I think there was oh, many times... So many doors. I think there was many times that maybe they probably would have wanted to uh, ask us to leave and then they just come see this cute little baby and um, so she opened up doors for us to get visas she opened up doors just in people's hearts and um, so I think it's good I think when God challenges you to do something to be giving something away could be having a conversation is just be willing to be stretched and say yes right um, and it ends up being so much better than us doing our own yeah, plan yeah, so that's so true and um, I just remember that story, like in China, it was something where the moms were supposed to stay inside in bed for like a month. And they had like that old wives tale that if they had the chill hit them, they'd get arthritis or something. And Sonia's from Canada. It's, it's the dead winter, snow, freezing. She's literally walking around with a baby that's like two days old with the carrier, a couple days old. And I'm just laughing because, you know, they're from Canada. This, even Beijing gets cold, but you're like, ah, oh, this is nothing. <laughs> I, I got to the point I had to ask the Lord to forgive me because I start to lie to people. Because every time I went outside, they'd ask me, how, how old's your baby? And I'd say five days, six days, ten days. And they'd scold me. So I'd say, so my response was, she's about a month old. <laughs> That, that, that passed. Okay. Yeah, because they're like, you get in bed, go inside. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> come back to bed. So yeah, that's hilarious. So yeah, that that apartment, that all the memories. We used to cram it full of uh, the people from the church, many meals and dinners and prayer yeah. events. It was a unique time, and I think having um, a safe place, right, where people could come in, and I think those are things that sometimes we. Um, yeah, we, we don't, our homes are very private, especially North America. It's yeah. very private and you invite in very, very close people into your into your house there, right? But we I think we felt free in that season to, yeah, just come on in, right? Didn't matter who you were. If you didn't have a place, you know, you come in and um, share Christmas together, right? And um, we always kind of said this phrase, church is a family. And I think when you live overseas as an expat, you have no family, right? Like, yeah. and that was the situation for almost everyone in our church. And so when Christmas or Easter or yeah, holidays came days. around, who do you spend time with? You spend time with the family that you have. Yeah. And I think the relationships that we had um, pastoring in a church of expats living overseas, the closeness, um, we've yet to experience that type of closeness, even yeah. in churches that we've pastored yeah. here, yeah. because it just was a unique kind of melting pot experience yeah. that everybody was there without family you know they were going through culture shock they were in a new place yeah. and there was this kind of this unique bond that didn't matter if you what color you were what language you spoke what country you were from um we but we felt each other's culture uh dishes and you know different, yeah different cultural uh, uh i can't even think of words right now um uh, traditions from some of the other <laughs> other nations and how cool yeah. is that and try different food and oh my come on let's just talk about the food for a second like I, I heard everything got more expensive and everything got worse but let's be honest the cost of living at that point in 2007 8 it was like being in heaven it was just getting to 
eat amazing food and and i'm not talking about fancy expensive expat places just finding all the local places where it didn't mm-hmm. cost much at all and the food yeah. was phenomenal and you guys definitely, definitely knew all the yeah, best definitely places we didn't realize travel. until coming back to north america how expensive it is even just adding a tip on top right because they wouldn't mm-hmm. do tipping and even tax was very minimal mm-hmm. um or was included in the pricing right and so but the the food was phenomenal even the western restaurants got better and better towards the olympics where um yep. some of the pizza places are still some our of the best favorite pizza. pizza we can't find pizza as good yeah. here some of the best pizza we had were was in yeah. beijing so um, yeah, there was all these expats that would literally go. I don't know how they got allowed and how they did it, but they would like literally start these bars and these sports pubs yeah. and these. The whole expat area was filled with. I mean, some of them, I'm guessing, they did partnerships with the local Chinese, but some of it's Australian guys that had the wine bars and the sports bar with soccer was playing with the wings. And I'm yeah. like, but they kept introducing more and more American and Western food. And, you know, these businessmen would thrive because all the Westerners and foreigners would love going there to these places. And the food was so good. But there was every, the every kind of food you left, could imagine. Yeah. But by the time we left China in 2016, it was Chinese people in the restaurants. They loved Western food. When you were there, Thomas, it was just Mostly, the internationals yes. and the foreigners. But, yeah, um, yeah the, they, they, they really got a taste for international food, which was kind of neat to see. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I heard the bad stories when I left. Uh, you know, there was a freaking KFC and McDonald's in every corner, too. And apparently the one child and they were eating. You could see by the time I left all these little overweight Chinese kids because they were eating so much fast food, which is not in their culture. And that was bad. I hope they figured that out because, yeah, little roly-poly little Chinese kids. <laughs> well, it was, um, I think, um, yeah, it was great. The food was phenomenal. I think the the pricing I was, I think, and I think the thing about um, China, which you you can do it a little bit here, but not that much, is you could pick the level you want to live at, right? Is that you had an apartment that was still clean, it wasn't in a dangerous area, right? Oftentimes, like if you're going for a cheaper place, you're you're also moving yeah. communities, right? But you could be right next door to a very um, wealthy neighborhood right so you're still in a safe place you're still in a very nice neighborhood but you could we looked at a lot of apartments and that was all god when i described to people where i lived it was um so right next to chaoyang westgate where the olympics beach volleyball where bush wasn't bush went and if you remember it was all wealthy expat nice expensive apartments and this was the only local chinese like normal one and apparently you know families of four and five with mom and dad six extended family would live in these small one-bedroom apartments but for me i think it was three hundred dollars us for it it was a good living room good big bedroom the kitchen i mean i remember i cooked so many soups and healthy food and learned to do hang my laundry on that on the patio back outside the porch and but it yeah it was just that it was completely chinese it wasn't one of the expat or the kind of nicer apartments and the you know being down there in the garden and seeing all the local people i was the only like non-chinese speaking person in that whole area but you walked out your you know the gate to get out of the apartment area and all of a sudden you're just surrounded by all this nice beautiful stuff so it was it was like a little hidden gem because we looked at a few that were you remember we went to one jordan and i was just like i'm not gonna all the roaches i'm not gonna go in that one 
Yeah, you helped me get a good one, and we got a good yeah, deal. And the guy loved me. But you could pick your level of living, right? Where I think it's much harder in North America to yeah. to rent and to find a place that is um, affordable. And and it became more and more difficult in Beijing as the years got on. Yeah. It just became more and more affluent and um, harder to find um, housing that was was cheaper, right? But yeah, we used to get onto this yellow minibus um, when we were first married before we had a vehicle and. We would take it because it was it was a little bit half the price of what the bus was and it was faster but they would just cram people on that bus um i think that would have was... been 10 10 cents american that bus yeah yeah tell them the stories of how you had to teach us like we'd go places and you'd be like all right just hold your breath like they would literally have people on the outside pushing in to make sure the doors would close and we would yeah. <laughs> and you jordan knows me i'm willing to do anything i'm adventurous but i mean i couldn't handle the winter smells in those cabs where the drivers didn't have anywhere to go they come from the country to drive and it's winter and it's cold so they would just eat garlic and eat all this food and they would sleep in their cab and i would get so sick i would always make them roll the window down i it was just like that i i equate it i don't know what to describe it it must just be a thick smell of garlic but to me it reminds me of like human fat or something i don't know how to describe it it's the, the smell made me wretch like and i can do anything like i used to walk around remember i would wear sandals and all the locals would like everybody would say that's so gross to walk around beijing in sandals yeah it's disgusting but that's why they wear slippers inside you know like oh i can't believe i wear flip-flops my wife won't let me wear flip-flops i don't wear them i haven't worn them since we got together she does not like flip-flops well, you got to listen to the wife. They say happy wife. But she doesn't wife. like cowboy boots either, and I do wear those occasionally on, like, uh, you know, country events or skeet shooting or something. So <laughs> <laughs> so there's some leeway there with the uh, – Well, she – it's like it's got to be a country event or, you, you know, <laughs> you do an annual skeet shoot with our friends, and I'm allowed to wear them there pretty much. You get to pull them out the country. Well, usually, um, I think most of the clothing and most men would be have this experience that over the years, um, certain clothing just disappears and uh, is given away yeah. or gifted, and you end up with what they prefer in the end. So sometimes <laughs> it's just a gradual, little by That's little, true. Um, That's very true thing. So happens, but it happens to. Um, even happens to hockey and baseball cards, all those things eventually just disappear on any little collectible. Um, I hope she made some money. I hate if I find out my wife threw stuff away. I'm like, do something with it. Let's sell it. <laughs> even the other day, like I bought my son a bunch of Nerf guns. He's five on Marketplace. It was so cheap. Oh, I got yeah. awesome guns. I'm having fun now. And she was like, you know, but I made the money on something she told me to get rid of. And, like, just throw it away. And I made 40 bucks on one item on Marketplace and 20 on another. So the money I spent was money I sold stuff. And I'm like, yeah, don't just – I mean, it's one thing that we give away stuff to people in need. But if it's, like, an old electronic thing that can still work, it was, like, a tiller for the ground. I'm like, somebody would gladly buy it. It's a $150 item. I sold it for – I actually was selling it for 50 and it was a um, – what are those people called? A chaplain from the Moffitt Cancer Center. And I met him. He was nice. Gave me his card. So when he's like, would you take 40? I'm like, sure, absolutely. Bless you, brother. <laughs> like, well, like, now, if it was a Nerf gun, Thomas, she might have disliked it because I cannot stand picking up those bullets. When you let kids <laughs> run through the house with them, you're picking them up for weeks. <laughs> so, so I'm telling her we're going to make a little bucket somewhere and I want them just to throw them when they see them in there so she doesn't throw them away. Because she, if she tells the kids to pick something up and they don't, 
within a time period, she'd throw the stuff away, and I get so mad. I'm like, I don't want to waste money. Like, just she's not it. the only one, Thomas. She's not the only one. Yeah, I'm not well, talking Nerf about little bullets. Last year we, I'm we talking about whole week. toys. She'll just throw away yeah. like whole toys and stuff. I'm like, oh yeah. We um we had a game once that Sonya played where she put everything in a black garbage bag and told us if we can guess what's in it, we she would take it out, and if we couldn't guess what was in it, then. It we was donated. Oh, I got to tell Tara, not tell Tara that one. I hope she doesn't listen to this. So, yeah, if you didn't miss it enough that you didn't know what was there, then, you know, you wow. might not miss it from the house. So, But little kids are funny because they do remember certain small things. Like, where did like where did my small little car El- go, right? Go yeah, or my little elephant. And they just have very specific memories, right? Where you're like, hmm, yeah. I think that was in the black bag. <laughs> He got donated. Well, I mean, yeah. she does a good job. We have a very small house, very minimalist. And, um, you know, they do a lot of trading clothes. So, you know, some of the clothes have gone around from my sister and friends that had boys. And then they made it to our son. And then when we were done, because he got goes to another family. So we do a great job of, you know, I, I always find that when someone has one kid, they might buy them, like, these expensive shoes. But I don't think we've ever, because we just rotate clothes and stuff. Like, I couldn't imagine paying $60 for a little three-year, like a one-year-old's Nikes. Like, I can't believe people spend that money. But somehow the shoes go around. There's consignment shops here. She gets everything from those kids. Some of those kids' places have brand-new stuff, and it's just so marked down. So Tara's yeah. great at all that. She does a great job. So, oh, wow. Oh, we, yeah, we just have been blessed to uh, get clothing passed around. There's so many cousins now here, so they just kind of wait. Till get together and then there'll be a bag. We'll give away a bag. We get yep. a bag. That's how I was. Um, and so it's it's good. That helps save a lot of a lot of money as well. So it really does. It. So yeah, I think uh, for anything you wanted to uh, share more on that topic, we're not giving away stuff. <laughs> no. Well, I was gonna say I definitely I want you guys to come on more often. I want you know this is going on. I'm on episode 17. So as we move forward, anything on your heart, anything you're gonna be launching. But right now, um, you know, I would love to talk more about China sometime. But you've been back in Canada for a certain period of time. I'd love to hear about that transition and even how you um, knew it was time to go home. But then what you're doing now with, um, I, I know my mom had joined the 365 Devotions, so she sees you on there sometime. And um, you've got the 365 Church, which is like an awesome global church movement that you're doing. So I want to get to where you can share what you're doing now. But first, yeah, I guess that question. You lived this life in Canada. What happened and how did you know the season was coming to an end and yeah. it was time to come home? Well, we've had, we had had quite a few people that had gone on back um, back to their home countries. Pastors that have been there a long time. Most of them didn't have a great time going back, so we thought we're not going back. <laughs> you know, like there's no need for us to go back. Um, but there was there was um, a couple instances. I, I remember one um, missionary friend, the same one that had challenged us to come to China. He was it was time for him to leave, and um, he was telling me that you just know the grace is kind of lifting. And I think for us, we knew um, we'd had some close friends that had. Um, been cues of spying and that kind of I think for us that that was just an aspect of grace is that we didn't feel free to do the ministry and I think for other people we'd seen that reflected in that when you try to move into persevere just preserving yourself um, and you're just trying to 
um, keep what you have going rather than doing things because God's telling you to do things, right? So you kind of move into self-preservation and, and you're starting to think too much about things, which was something in the earlier years. We did think about things, but not too much. We would just... You know, do a lot of do a lot. We were of too dumb to know how dangerous things <laughs> were sometimes. But we I think we, we yeah. yeah. So okay. I think we start to become very aware that um, that you know we were probably being watched, and it was just wasn't a good good place for us to be. I think for us long term, and so that and was, at that time too, uh, we were doing a lot of work through our center, partnering with other local pastors, and we realized that you know if we're being watched. Uh, we're putting their ministry at risk too, right? And so it came to a point where we realized, like Jordan said, that that grace was kind of lifting. But it, it was almost as if, you know, we fought it honestly for a long time. We were like, we're not going home. We're staying here. We're persevering. We're going to see, was see this through like this. Was this like a year or like uh, how This long was about a year and a half. Okay. And, and, you know, at so that time. we fought the good our, fight. <laughs> we did. And, and our family back home were like, you need to come home now. And we were like, no, we're not ready yet. You know, grandparents, parents, like we've been praying and God's, we really feel God saying it's time for you to come home. It's not safe to, for you to be there anymore. And we kind of kept fighting it. at the time. Yeah, we had three children at the time. Um, and I, I liken it to when you when God is speaking and you're not listening. It wasn't that we were trying to be disobedient, but I think we were so passionate about yeah. the work that we were doing there. Um, God had to slam the door on us. And so it was about a year and a half where everything we were trying just wasn't working. Things were falling apart. Um, you know, we were facing all kinds of challenges. And it was just clear what we had a grace. When you talked about that grace, like, you know, there's there's times you were with us when we had really challenging times. And we and knew God said, just keep pressing through yeah. and, and then you're going to have that victory and I'll see you through. And it was like what was easy before, what, what always worked out wasn't working. Yeah. And it was just really clear to us that God was saying, I'm closing the door this season of your so life. So now you go back to another culture shock, being a third culture kid coming from the missions field back to the States. I was almost 14. I was like end of eighth grade. So it was very, I think that's where a lot of the, the dilemma and trauma in my life happened from that period that I dealt with for many years. So what does that look like? You, you have family. You have, I think, what does that look like to come home with three kids and you're like, what do we do now? Yeah, I think without a job, but I think there was one, and this is where I would say um, it's so important, like if you have a word of encouragement to share, because there was one pastor, um, I think we asked, we went out to dinner, right? And then they he knew. Wanted, they wanted to meet with us to pray for us yeah, before we left. We, we did a dinner with him and then he, he asked, when are you leaving? And we're like, we're leaving in two days. And I think he was shocked that we were leaving so soon. And he said, could you come into my office and we want to pray with you? And um, so out of courtesy, we said yes, you know, you know, but we had so much, you know, when you're packing up your whole life, it was like even doing that meeting, which was going to be an hour, felt like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll do it. And I remember going in and um, she had prepared this prophetic word, the pastor's wife. And she said a lot of amazing things. I wish we'd written them all down because it was it was the spirit moving. And I would say like there's there's times where people give encouraging words and um, and and sometimes you don't even fully recognize um, 
how much God is speaking through that word, right? Yeah. But she prayed and she said to us, and she said to me, she had a word for each of us, but she said to me, she said, um, the Lord says the finances is not going to be an issue for you. You don't have to worry about finances. And um, that was just so powerful because we were coming back. We didn't own a house. We didn't own a car. We had, um, we had given away a lot of the money or we didn't know if it was coming back. Um, some of the money. You guys and, were very uh, generous with the money at the time. No, it was just it was it was going like, out faster than it um, came in. <laughs> so we just didn't know. Um, and it took Jordan about six months. So it was like six months where, you know, when you come back and you're trying to find a role as a pastor, that doesn't happen overnight, right? So mm. he was applying to different pastorates. And um, finally, God kind of opened this door where we landed in this Chinese church. And so Jordan um, became one of the English pastors. They found out after they hired him that we used to be in ministry together. So then they asked me to come on part-time as their children's pastor. And, you know, if someone had told us, <laughs> we actually landed in a Baptist church, um, but if someone had told us, yeah, someone told us like three years before that, that you're going to come back to Canada and be pastors in a Chinese Baptist church, we'd be like, you're crazy, you're out of your mind, right? <laughs> um, but actually, when I look back, it was so good for our family. It was so good for my kids. You know, we missed China so much and like had so much culture shock. And it was this environment that was familiar to us in some ways. There, you know, there was some different culture with the Chinese, yeah. Cantonese culture in the church. But, you know, it was something that my kids could slowly let go. And I would say when you go through that kind of big transition, it's like something inside of you dies. Yeah. It was like a huge grieving process. I don't know if you experienced that, yeah. um, Thomas, when your family came off the field and even maybe that Coming transition. Home in 2009, home, right? yeah. After singing it's, Waters, I was in a dark place for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say it was, it was, uh, there was dark times when we first came back because you, your identity, you, even though you know um, your identity is not in what you do for God, you, when you're in ministry and your whole life revolves around that, your relationships, who your friends are, um, you know, what you do when that's taken away, it's just, what do I do now, right? Like, that's all I know. When even stories, I, I was aware, even preaching in Canada, like, you know, to be the stories like you can't keep referring back to China, right? Because people feel like, oh, like you, you're just, you're not in China anymore. You're here, right? In Canada, right? And so it seems like you're living out, you know, um, your past life. Yeah. And, but there is part There's of where you're- There's a place for it. There's gonna yeah. be a place for it. But I think part of it is, is, and I think people experience this when, you know, they immigrate to a new country, your whole life and your memories are stuck in another place, right? Yeah. And you're starting off fresh and you're starting off fresh sometimes with people that don't know that place. They don't know right. um, what it's like. So you can share it, but they don't really know it on that deep level of when you mention a place or you mention a Like when a city, we talk right? to someone like you, Thomas, it's like right away we go back like it was just, just yesterday, right? Brings back. I had Mark Tedder on a few um, last week, I think, from the worship leader from when we were there at BIC at Beijing International Christian Fellowship. And towards the end, we talked a little about China. And, man, I wish we had talked longer because all of a sudden all these memories started flooding in. And I've been wanting to have you on for a while, so I pushed. I was like, I need to have you guys on now because it's just all this stuff is fresh. And it was just – it was such a unique time. And yeah. honestly, you know, we could hope that 
everybody's ready and prepared and, you know, in a great place. And, you know, I, I, the story is that I came on fire for the Lord and was in the missions field and excited with YWAM. And when I came back, I was, I was in a process of really just, I had never dealt with the trauma and the brokenness from my sin behavior from like 19 to 22 years old or 23 years old. So here this young man comes to serve with you guys and it's apparent that my character is being formed, that there's things God's touching and dealing with. And so that was a whole nother level for you guys to deal with someone similar age to you that you met that was just on fire and so passionate for the Lord. But when I came, it was obvious that there was just more going on, that the Lord took me through a long journey of inner healing and, and growth. And um, that was another challenge for you guys as a leaders. To how do we come alongside him? And you, you did a great job of yeah. bringing me along the journey with you and, and making me a part of the ministry and helping me along the way. But um, I said all of that to think that you, you never really know. There's not a perfect time. And in community and in discipleship, that's all we can do. I think Jordan was the first one to tell me you should always have someone like a little bit of a mentor to you, someone on the equal level and someone a little bit below you, sort of maybe a new believer. And for me, I've taken hold of that because there was times that I was seeking maybe mature adults or men older than me, and I want, wanted their attention and time. And I, I'm learning it's hard to find people your own age and own maturity level with the Lord because everyone's busy or people in ministry are busy. Mm -hmm. So the Lord started challenging me to go to some of these people I know that are newer believers or younger. And so I started reaching out. And you know what? As I started reaching out to some of these other believers and younger believers, the relationships that I was pursuing for with people maybe more mature than me started happening more naturally. So it is, it's this whole swing that it's never perfect. You're not going to hire someone and say, fly from Florida, come be on staff with us. And it's going to be there like 10 out of 10. Nope. They're going to have character to develop it. Yeah. Well, and God takes us, right. He takes us knowing that we're not perfect. I think yeah. we're like, um, and, and looking back, we were far from perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. I think there was a lot in our journey where God led us into to more maturity, right? Mm. But well, and I'm I really had to think cool. about that. Some of my development and growth and healing process also tr caused you to grow and mature because you had this. Sonia's very discerning, very prophetic. Jordan is a teacher. He uh, he's, goes deep in the word. But Sonia's sort of like that, like my mom finding something hidden in the drawer. And my brother's like, how did you find that? And she's like, mom always knows, you know, like the Holy Spirit just told her. I'm That's how Sonia it. was with everything. She knew. She just knew everything. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, yeah. And I think spirit. one thing I'd say about um, that is key, I think, is that God can keep working. With, like if we allow ourselves to be pastored and not, not necessarily like this, you know, having yeah. someone like that's just you know controlling but but saying i want to have a heart where god like shape me move me right he will yeah. send us individuals sometimes that are more mature sometimes on the same level right that will be yeah. used to form us um correct us you know um give us opportunities to grow yeah um, and learn right so and some of those those experiences right i wouldn't have them now because i wouldn't react in the same way i yeah. wouldn't i wouldn't be um, but there's also was growth in that, you know, those, those risks to take chances to go and, um, jump on a plane and go somewhere, right. Where, yeah. 
Now, if I'm like, well, no, I know better now. I wouldn't jump on a plane and go there, right? But you miss out. You miss out on things. So. I mean, I, I look forward to at some point taking my family to visit where I grew up in the Netherlands or to travel. But, I mean, there was such a grace on my life. Do you remember? I, I flew to Beijing with four full-size bags when you're only supposed to have two. I basically snuck on two extra bags. I had four 75-pound bags. Now you can barely travel with 250, yeah. you know, it's insane. And I just, I went to Australia. I, I've been to like, I think it was 35 or 36 countries, five continents. I, I just getting like ungodly anxiety now. Like if it was my, me, myself, it'd be one thing, but just thinking about all the dangers and keeping track of kids. Like, I don't know how my parents moved us across the world with four of us. You know, they were 30 and below moving four of us, like five to 14 across the world. Like, I don't know how they did it. You know, it's yeah. like crazy. So I'd love to say Thomas to anybody listening that have been thinking, maybe they are feeling a call to, maybe it's a short term mission trip. Maybe it's to go to yeah. the mission field permanently don't wait because there's never a good time, right? right? Like the people that say, okay, you know, once I get married, once I, you know, once I finish this degree, once I've got 30,000 in the bank, you know, those, it, it just, there's always something else, right? right? But if you have that call of God on your life, whether it just be a short-term mission trip, um, just move on it because yeah. you will yep. never regret it. I don't regret anything from our time living overseas. Yeah, and I'm I so grateful that God open that door for us when we were young, yeah. right? And I think those that are watching this, like all these stories came out from Thomas jumping on a plane, right? Saying when yeah. I remember talking to you yeah. on the phone yeah. and saying, would you come and say yes to come and for myself responding. So I think, yeah, there's never a perfect time. Yeah. It's never enough money. I would encourage this goal. And, um, I don't even know how we survived over there. I was like literally living by faith. I think, I think I was working on average when I started making money about three days a month. And that provided for all of the bills because the church I did for the church was all volunteer and free. So um, it was like God was like, here, I'm going to introduce you to that language school guy was awesome and to different people and did all these opportunities. They were trying to hire me full time for at schools with no college degree. It's like God can do whatever he wants. If I said yes, they were going to hire me because I was teaching seventh grade. I was teaching Peter Pan and English to that international school. They wanted to hire me. I'm like, well, I can keep doing, you know, what's it called? Substitute work right now, but I, I can't yeah. work full time. But yeah, it, it is. It was a lesson of learning to follow the Lord and, and just live by faith. And we definitely did that for sure. Yeah. And so God's been so good. I think coming back, it was still like, it does take time to transition. And one thing my dad says always is um, in transitions to be good to yourself. And I think um, sometimes we, we try to rush transitions and transitions take time. I think anytime there's a new, so we just moved to new area as well. And um, I remember our, our dog passed away and I was just crying. I was just so upset. And I said, I can't believe I'm crying over a dog. I never cried over a dog an animal before, but it was the change. It's the amount of change that goes on. And I think in our lives when there's a lot of change, there's a lot of things going on to take time and to really be in God's presence, yeah, be in God's right? presence allow him to bring healing, That's allow him great. to help you with the transition. Um, because all, yeah, all transitions are not, not easy. Right. And I think we have to be, uh, give extra grace to ourselves, you know, and, um, yeah. like my dad said, be good to yourself. Be good to yourself can be taking those times to read a book, right. Or taking those times to say, we're, we're, we're going to go on a walk. 
Um, but I think hearing from the Holy Spirit, that was the thing I think that helped us with transition is just knowing like God's voice and what God was saying in the midst of the transition. So for us, where we were going, we knew God said to us, go west. You know, that was a, a prophetic word and it kind of confirmed to go west where we are now. And so I think knowing that it's like you can be a peace in that transition to know like, okay, it might not be perfect, but this is where God wants me to be. So, yeah. And we talked a lot about, you know, you guys just this almost an hour we've been talking. It, a lot of it was hearing the Lord, responding to the Lord on, on my first solo podcast. That was really the theme. That's what the Lord's really been highlighting and teaching me. And, and for people listening that we can all learn to hear the Lord in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind for those things. And the, the theme on that podcast for me was that learning when you hear those things, the things you were talking about when you were supposed to do this or you knew you guys were to go, that by being obedient to the thing you know he's calling you to do, not for someone else, not like religion, don't do this, don't do No, that specific thing you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and what the Lord was showing me was that that obedience leads to a maturity, it leads to authority, it leads to intimacy. And everything mm-hmm. you've been describing are these instances of just honoring what you feel and hear the Lord saying to your heart, to your spirit, and then obeying it. And so, yeah, share a little bit about that. How did you develop that? I'm sure the Bible school helps you learn to recognize what the voice of the Lord was. And, and what, what would you say to that for people listening that maybe don't know what that looks like to hear God speak to them? You know, some of the best ways to learn is when you miss it. And there's been many times, I think, in our personal lives and ministries where you get this kind of prompting and you think, I should call this person or I should go do this or, or maybe I, I shouldn't make this financial decision or whatever it might be, right? When we have those promptings and we, we I wouldn't say refuse, when we're too afraid to act on them, sometimes you can take a step back and realize, oh, that was you, God. You were, you were trying to save me from that mistake or you were trying to... Um, you know, have me in that spot to help that person at that moment and I missed it and I'm so sorry. And I think God is speaking all the time. We're just not listening. Our ears aren't <laughs> Now you sound it. like Andrew Womack. It's our tuner. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so I, I would say for somebody their first time where they're saying like, how do I hear God's voice? Well, um, get in the word, right? Like the more you are in God's word, he can speak scripture to you. He can, you can make sure that you can test the words that you're hearing. Like it will never contradict with what the scriptures say, you know, get under people, you know, like how you said, how Jordan said, like, look for someone that's ahead of you or on the same page, right? If you want to learn about hearing God's voice or the prophetic, you know, find somebody in your church or find another Christian that knows that and, and ask those questions. Like, how do you start hearing God's voice? And, and look for those relationships where people can can mentor you in that. But I would say just the more you're obedient in the small things, yeah. then you'll recognize God's voice for the bigger decisions. That's and good. and um, you you know sometimes we want to hear God on those big life changing decisions, like you know who do I marry or you know where <laughs> you know do I do I take this job? And and sometimes it starts with you know like I said like picking up the phone and calling somebody. Maybe it starts with, you know, stopping when you're having your hair cut and, you know, taking that extra five minutes to just be kind and talk to the person and take interest in how they're doing, right? And as the more we kind of exercise that in our life, the clearer God's voice becomes. I think the promptings, I've heard our people say the whispers of God, but I think it is a feeling. And I think you can, if we think about it, 
a lot of times we know, well, I wouldn't naturally think about that to go up and talk to that person, right? But it, we're too shy or we don't know what to say. So we, we kind of sometimes shut our shut down things, right? We're, we're praying on one hand, like, God, speak to me, or I want to hear your voice. And then when he says it, um, maybe we're not ready to respond. But I, I would say it's like just we, we need to keep practicing, right? And um, like someone says, sometimes those things and when we miss it or we feel like, oh, I should have made that phone call, right? Mm-hmm. Or I should have done that. But I think living in regret doesn't help. I think God gives us a new day. And I think I would just encourage you, you feel if you feel something on your heart, you can ask yourself, is this me? Is this the devil? Or is this, you know, yeah. is this the Holy Spirit prompting me? And I think our flesh usually doesn't like to step out of our comfort zone. So if it's like, go talk to someone, go give someone finances, go help someone out. Mm-hmm. Usually that's not our flesh. Our flesh is very selfish, you know? Yeah. Be, I, would, you know? I would add to what Jordan was saying. Um, actually, I think the biggest area that we really grew in hearing God's voice was actually in the area of finances. And sometimes God asks us to give, like, you know what it was like living overseas. Some, it was, sometimes we live by faith. Like, I remember one time God told us inside the foreign food grocery store, Jenny Lou's, to empty my wallet. We still had two weeks before we were getting paid from the school we were working at. And I was like, God, like, how am I going to pay my bus fare? How am I going to like buy food? And he literally said, no, like he told Jordan, no, give this person this amount. And I remember Jordan took the money and I was so mad. I was like, how am I going to cook food this week? Um, But you know, the very next day, like miraculously without somebody knowing um, they sent us an offering and it was like, 10 times the amount that like That's God had asked us to empty our wallet for. Right. And so I think those small steps of obedience of, of living our life like this, right? Like mm-hmm. that everything mm-hmm. we have, God is yours. And when we live that way, you know, he can take it anytime. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes he'll take it when we feel like we need yeah. it, but he always gives us what we need when our hands open. Yeah. And so I think that's like our biggest area where I think we really learn to hear God's mm-hmm. voice. Yeah. Yeah, so I need to just either go back to my journals or just, you know, one of the main teachings of the of the staying full of God or the, the four, what was it, the four, one of the Andrew Womack teachings, I love his stuff, normally I could, the four keys to staying full of God, it's remembering the things he's done for you and building monuments to remember things and, you know, making his name big, greater than other things in your life and so those stories from that time, there were so many supernatural, the the, during the Olympics where they were stopping getting these visas and somehow they were like, you're not going to get that long one. And somehow I got that three, I came back from Hong Kong and I needed three months and they gave me the three months they weren't going to crazy stuff like that. And towards the end, um, one of the joys we had was as a church, we were constantly welcoming in the YWAM teams and I would kind of help facilitate them and find places and logistics, things for them to do. And a lot of that for the Olympics became a like a full-time job, really preparing for that big Dutch team and connecting with the, remember George that worked for the embassy there, the Dutch, he had that huge apartment. It housed like a full three, it was like 21 people that stayed in this guy's apartment. It was one of those mega gorgeous high rises in Beijing. And I did all this work and I was serving and helping them, but I had no money coming in from overseas. Didn't really, I wasn't working, you know, teaching English at the time because it was all right before the Olympics. Had no idea about anything. And I just remember the end of the trip when our big friend Hans, my, my big Dutch friend, and when he handed me an envelope of money, not knowing how much they would uh, you know, give me to support or bless me because I helped them, 
it was literally exactly what I needed to get mm-hmm. the airfare to Amsterdam to go to the Bible school to pay my rent that I owed for that guy. I think I was actually behind and I had to pay for the three months of rent. And all this, and it was literally enough money to just take care of my final time in Beijing. And I was like, I didn't see that coming. You know, of course, you're thinking you're going to get a couple hundred dollars, but it was like enough money to pay for my rent, the air for like everything. And like, I had no idea. I didn't know if they would give me anything. You know, I wasn't doing it for the money. So that was one of those stories that I'm constantly reminded that God knew what I needed. He told the team how much to give me because they prayed about it. And I'm like, this is crazy, you know? So that was one of those stories. But we had constantly had finance, yeah. you know, financial miracles while we were there. And it was awesome, for sure. Yeah, and I Definitely. think sometimes we feel like it's um, it's easier overseas. But I think it's how God wants us to live. Um, it doesn't matter what country, right? Or what right. place. It's like God's word works everywhere. Um, and so... I think it was amazing to see that how people would pray and they'd get a certain amount, right? And um, yeah. and the, you know, it's the Holy Spirit knew, right? The Holy Spirit knew what you needed. So, yeah. and you 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 hit it on the head. You said you know, overseas. I mean, remember when we went to Liberia and and we saw so much of the demonic manifestations in those churches, and you know that's because they're open to it. That's because they are. Um, you know, very much they are uh, aware of the supernatural and the spiritual world. And it, it, it's like for us to realize it's for everywhere. The, the living by faith, trusting God, that, that's one of my mm-hmm. problems was working in a career job now with a, you know, for a big company. I, I got to feel like I was providing for my family. And I'm not going to lie, I, I had a great year last year and the beginning couple months of this year were really bad and I was struggling. And it was almost like as my heart shifted to really need God to come through and really recognize and acknowledge him as my source. Like Hosea is always my favorite book. Like just to acknowledge that the Lord is my source and God is my source. I've had a really good two months and it was supernatural. I mean, I got one account that just set me up for last month and this month. I mean, on the beginning of the month on June 1st, I I had a, a deal closed that set me up for the whole month. And that's all God because I was struggling really bad. And this is right around the time the baby was due. And so I just have to remind myself, like you said, it's, it's not for overseas. It's for, we have to yeah. live our life now and learn to, you know, trust that the Lord is our provider. And, um, and we can still, you know, we try to be giving and we try to, you know, be, but to me, it's as much as I'm outward focused because it's so easy to focus on my family and take care of my family, give the excess but how many times is God calling us to give the first fruits or what is an excess? Like I need that shirt, you know? And so I do, I know that the Lord's always speaking and I just need to make myself available again. And that's sort of a season I've been in right now. And I mean, starting this podcast was by faith, but it's causing me to focus more on the Lord more than I was. And it's, it's really good for me. So, yeah. Well, it is amazing. Every, every week, if you're having these conversations, remembering being stirred up and I hope, those um, listening, right? That whatever the story made, this story doesn't make any sense compared to your story. But God knows your story, mm-hmm. and um, He will, and He'll use. I think He'll use people. I believe that He's going to send individuals, right, to just keep pushing us on um, deeper and deeper in our faith, right? So, yeah, it's not just for a certain place, a certain time. He wants to speak to us now, right? He wants to use us now. He wants to provide for us now. 
So it's almost, it's literally like we're the ones limiting God. So to be intentional, and, I, I, and that's literally been the theme this last month with me. He just keeps telling me that his gaze is towards me mm-hmm. and he just wants me to lock mm-hmm. eyes with him. And that season for all of us that when you, when you feel anxious, when you feel out of peace, when you feel something, at any point you can literally just meditate and focus on the God's love. Folk, like just imagine yourself looking at his eyes and that's something you know i tell the story of how albert and Wingy would walk around and ask you know what fruit they should buy at the marketplace and some people kind of laughed at them or thought that was foolish but in my head i'm like god that's how i should be living like i want to include you in everything and something that yeah he, i think he's stirring me up to to the next things he's got for me and i hear him clearly in this season that we are coming to a time jordan and sonia that you have to be able to hear the Lord to go left or right. And if you don't hear it and you miss it, like you live in Canada, I would say that's a closed country. You know what I mean? Like we, we're here in the States and things are happening that we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know when to turn this way and when to turn that way. And he keeps reminding me that I hear that in my spirit just the last month over and over. And I, I it was in China when we were there when I, I read the brother, Heavenly Man book. And that's when I heard his story of how he literally had to follow the holy spirit just to get out of china and make it to germany and the lord told me then there's a time coming when you will need to be so sensitive to my voice mm-hmm. that if you miss it it's going to be detrimental i'm talking life and death for some people that we need to get to that place of hearing the lord and honoring what he's saying to where it's if he says stop you stop almost like those trained dogs that the guy can just whistle and they stop like I'm not good with my kids aren't trained like that. We need to train ourselves like that more. And I'm there right now. I need to get that because he's telling me. So I must need to focus on that. (laughs) Our dog certainly is not like that. (laughs) We're being trained left or right. But uh, maybe that's how we seem like too, right? Is like we're just like, like, yeah, we want to listen, but we're just all over the place, right? So. But I think it, it shouldn't be something we mystify, right? Like the word right. says that the sheep know his voice. And if you believe in Jesus and he's Lord of your life, you do hear his voice. You just might not recognize it yet for people that are listening, yeah. right? Yeah. You might be saying to yourself, well, you know, I've never heard God's voice. Yeah. You certainly have. You just haven't recognized exactly. it. Exactly. And I don't mean to be mystical about it. I mean, I need to be intentional with it. And yeah. anybody listening could say that as well. Like, sure, I hear God's direction or pushing i'm just saying as believers and especially ones who have been walking with him for a long time we need to take it seriously that that we need to learn to live this world like it's the matrix and the spirit begets the flesh and that's something i just that's these concepts that just keep coming to me lately and not putting any pressure on anyone else but i know that the spirit begets the flesh the spirit is first and i should live my life accordingly and that's something that it's a it's a paradigm shift to get there, and I I believe it theologically, but it takes time to live it. I think, and to and that's something I really want to work on. That you know, I can take that breath with the kids acting crazy, and okay, Lord, what do you want me to do instead of reacting? <laughs> like, so it's definitely. So yeah, I do want you to share a little bit about what you're doing now because um, I see them pop on my Facebook feed every day. You're doing the 365 devotionals and they're great little videos to remind you anybody can follow and join. Um, you started it in just the Bible app, where, but you actually now have it where it's like a videos that you're putting up and sharing the, the verses. It's awesome. I see, I'm always working and I see them pop up. On, my phone pops up, so I, I get the alerts. And 
Um, yeah, and well, then because also, you're liking it, so. Yeah, the church ministry that you're a part of, that you started the 365. So share a little bit about how you got into yeah. that and what that is. Well, it came out with a season we knew we were transitioning, and it was another step of like... We always wanted to church plant, actually, when we came back to Canada. We felt we wanted to church plant, but we never knew exactly how or how to go about it. Yeah, and we actually started looking at physical places to meet. And I can remember bringing someone there to a place I thought could work for a church. And they were like, yeah, I'm just not feeling it. And like, it was like, yeah, you're right. You know, like there's some things that you try to make happen. But we felt that we, what we did feel is the Lord just say, just start it. And it was during the COVID period where everyone was online. The the name Church 365 was, um, the, the thought was church every day, not just on Sunday. Um and that we are the church every day. It's not just um, a meeting we, we have on Sunday. And so that's been kind of the journey we've been on is discovering what does that look like church every day. And so um, we, we started the Bible. We, we have some Bible plans on the Version Bible app. Um, and we're, we're con, you know, working on some more. But that was the idea is that every day we want to be reading the Bible together, encouraging people to read the Bible together. And so... Um, we have people that join the Bible plan, but they go to a physical church or another church on Sunday, but they're joining us in the videos or um, reading the Bible plans. But our heart is, I think, just we want to help people grow in their faith. It's not about just um, that. I think when we were younger, it was like, oh, you just you have to be in one place, right? You get your teaching in one place. And that was probably something we learned from you, Thomas. You were constantly giving us teachings. Sometimes drive me crazy. I'm like, man, like... Like, you're, like, listening to Andrew Womack, and then you got this guy and this. So, you know, I'm like, just be present where you are. But I think we've <laughs> learned, too, is that God uses different people in yeah. different ways to push us on, right? And sometimes that's our insecurity that is like, oh, you can only be here under my teaching. Or if you're listening to someone else, that's not, you know, that we, we get insecure about that. But I think God will use multiple people to... Right. It's not, we're not saying don't be. We want you people to be faithful in the church, but right. um, if we can be helped by people being encouraged to read the Bible daily, or there's these videos that we're doing that will encourage people, um, it doesn't really bother us if God's got them in a different different place on Sundays, and He just uses us to encourage um, people. And I think that kind of came through our season. Our last few years in China was really not easy. And there was one pastor I just constantly um, listened to, um, and I could drop his name here too, but it was such an encouragement. God was using his online ministry. Drop his um, name. I like the encouragement. Blessing people. I love Ferdick. Ferdick was someone that even before it became popular, now, that, now it's like, you know, That's so many people. Stephen Ferdick. So Stephen. it was back Elevation Church, but I found, found his church because I was looking for someone I could watch online and everything was blocked in China, but he had these videos that were um, on his own website, on his own website that you could go and watch. Um, and yeah, and they were constantly playing, but it felt like God was using him to really encourage me in my faith. And um, so that was kind of a ministry where it's like, I've never been a member of Elevation Church, but God used the sermons to really encourage me during that time exactly. and use the worship to encourage me. So I feel like that's part of what, our ministry is we're also looking i think in this near future to start encouraging churches like people do pastor churches maybe they are not called to pastor a building in a building or but they can pastor in their home 
they can pastor a small group of people yeah. and they have a desire. So our, I think our passion is to equip them is to say you can be released to be a pastor, but you might not have time to write your, you know, a whole sermon or do it full time, right? But God's giving you a pastoral heart um, to do something. And I think even what you're doing through this podcast is part of it, right? Is if we can encourage people to do something, right? And if it's, influence where they are, yeah, right? I think that's what our desire is. So we have videos, we're releasing them every day. Um, talking about the scripture, but we're trying to just be true to what the scripture says and encourage people to get into the word of God and hear um, the Lord for themselves. See what God is saying and to themselves. And that's the 365 devotionals and there's a Facebook yeah. page they can join. And yeah. There's videos. And on seekeroftruth.co, yeah, um, yeah, there'll be um, a link to their your page for your episode podcast and it'll have lovely pictures of you and the family and links to the different um, Facebook pages or YouTube channel and all the different stuff. So I'll build that out. And that's the devotional side. Now you are connecting with people for the church side. It's what's it called? 365 church. Yeah. So we do, um, we do have a, a worship experience on Sundays. And so we have people that will join from all over the world. So the kind of cool part about it is it's not limited to the town that we're in, although we do have people from the town we are in part of our church. Uh, but we have people everywhere from Saudi Arabia to Uganda to the States to um, China to Philippines sometimes like all over the world yeah. um, jumping into this, like what we like to call our global family. And so... Uh, like Jordan said, our hope is that um, we can bring the church to wherever people are, right? So if people, you know, there's, there's, it, even in one of my small groups, you know, there's a girl that she's living in a place where there is no church. We are her church. Our small group that we meet in the week on line, that's her church family. And she joins us for worship. And um, that is church for her. And so we want to serve people that maybe can't go to church. You know, there's a number of people, whether it's anxiety or they have um, physical challenges that they can't physically get to church, that yeah. we can be a church family to them. And like Jordan said, our next stage is we really want to encourage people to to be the church wherever they are. You know, whether it's be in a coffee shop or in a home to gather people and to start church planting, that that's what our passion is to really kind of release people into ministry. That's good. And so you're kind of building out the foundation or you have um, where people are part of. I see that it kind of bounces from screen to screen for people leading worship in different locations and yeah. doing songs. And it's very, very unique and very cool. And so that's kind of giving people a place to tune in, get a word, get a message. And obviously, if people come to you and say, well, I want to start you know, a, a small group worship in my coffee shop or in my house, you could give them some outlines, some direction yeah. and yeah. help. And that could be people in America if they don't have, a, a, you know, they live in the middle of nowhere or they're, they don't have resources. And again, no one's trying to take people from another church. I find that such a secure leader of, of, a, of a church and a ministry that they can go evangelize to someone in their city and not feel the need to tell them they have to come to their church. I think that's mm. beautiful when a believer can just pray with a person and say, well, let's just pray that the Lord brings you to the right family and community yeah. because yeah. there was a time when everyone was trying to grow their own empires and we're seeing that sort of shift now, which is good that it's this, it's the church of Tampa. It's not thousands of different churches. There's, there's yeah. one church and um, it's powerful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I saw that with this um, picture of this guy from Hong Kong. He was like, had his finger like this one, right? And he said, how many churches in, you know, in his city, right? It's one. And it's true. I think we, um, I think that's one thing God's done in us. And I think that's, it comes with maturity. It comes with um, being with, secure in God. Yeah, being secure that it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And I think God's helped us to be in um, a community where, it's not all about the numbers or filling up, right? It's that it's, and, and you can see that in the Word of God. I think we see it in the Word of God, but then we still come back to, well, I want my church to have lots of people, right? But we can see in the Word of God where, you know, how many people did Apollos have in his church or Barnabas, right? And there's so many people that were in and out that helped the church grow, but we don't even know their names, right? Or they're mentioned once, but we don't know what exactly they did. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that maturity i'm hoping we can keep that maturity and that you know security but i think it's something that we're enjoying that we don't have to yeah it's not just about trying to get everyone into our group and that so we want yeah. we want people to grow spiritually so but even the 365 devotionals i mean that that's just like going on the U version and reading a devotional that, that yeah. people from anywhere and that's just going to keep growing and growing as a as a like social media the way it works is it exponentially will grow and more and more people can tune in and, and just get blessed daily because that's what it is instead of just having a reading you're getting to tap into someone sharing that verse and what it means it's powerful it's really good and i think that's the one thing um which is exciting is like on the U version there's thousands of people that have read the bible plan we would never have been able to have a thousand people read our Bible play writing it in our own church. So I think that ability to be able to be influencing or helping people or encouraging people, and maybe it's just for a short season, right? Small season, but um, maybe it's only for 30 days, but God's using it to encourage them. So I think those things are just um, amazing. And what you're doing, I think with this, you never, who knows, God knows who's going to be listening to when. It could be years from now, it could be, um, this week when it goes live, right? But I pray that whoever listens to it is kind of picking up the theme that they need to respond. They should respond. If God's speaking to them, that they should take that step and just do it because it's only doing it that God can kind of bring you to the next step, right? And then the next step and the next step and maybe bring you the next step that he'll use you to encourage someone else. So, yeah, so true. Well, I know it's probably late, and if yeah, if you have to go, but I'd love for uh, you to pray us out, and as well as um, you know, I can edit this out. So if you have more to say, we can keep going. But I definitely want to have you more often. Just uh, join we'll in come on, back. on these calls, and yeah, we'd love to come back. Yeah, we definitely come back. We'll pray, um, and so yeah, let's just um, wherever you're listening from, just open up your heart, and uh, I just thank you, Lord, right now. Holy Spirit, that you locate us, you find us, God, you find us in our darkest and hardest times. Father, I pray that your voice would be real. We've talked about your voice, God, but now, Lord, I pray for an experience, God, that we would experience your voice, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would be moved, Lord, Lord, to step out of our comfort zone. I pray that we'd be moved, God, to um, find encouragement, send encouragement to us, Lord. We pray, Father, Lord, that um, we would respond to your voice. And so, Lord, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Just continue to bless this podcast. 
Thank you, Lord, for your voice that you, you speak to us. And so do it, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. As uh, Jordan was just praying, I just saw a picture of somebody that had a broken leg. And um, as I was asking God what it meant, it, it, there's somebody that's going to be listening to this that have broken their leg. But this is more than a broken leg. This is affecting their job. It's, it's like really crushing for them um, to be in this situation. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit wants you to know that God has got this and so if that's you when you're listening to this and you have a broken leg and you're you're not knowing where your your next um money for rent or whatever it might be might come from i just feel like the lord's saying that he's going to provide so lord i just pray for that person whoever they mm -hmm. might be lord that you are their provider god that you would bring that provision that they need lord and we just ask for complete healing for that leg in the mighty name of jesus we just thank you lord Lord, I just bless Thomas. Lord, I bless this ministry, Lord. Let it flourish. Let it grow, God. And let it reach many people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, I just thank you so much for Jordan and Sonia, just for their heart after you and just an example of living by faith. And I just bless this transition that they're, they're growing in a new direction with the ministry and with the church, Lord. And just that you would um, bring along the right partnerships, the right community the the elbow the elbow the right people to come alongside of their ministry lord and um i just thank you so much for their friendship and encouragement over uh, nearly 20 years and in, uh, in two more years it's crazy how fast that goes so just thank you so much for this time to catch up and to uh just talk about you not like you're not in the room but that you're right here with us god and we just thank you for being real more real than the air we breathe Ah, okay, so before you go, um, we read a lot of books, and you love missionary books. Jackie Pullinger, Lester Summerall, Smith Wigglesworth. What's your favorite one right now that you're reading, okay. and which one from back then do you recommend to really inspire people that want to believe for miracles and believe for the supernatural, that you love reading those books, Jordan? Yeah, I love biography. So we were actually just listening to one the other day, Louis Zapp Samperini. Um, there's a book, movie out um, called, I think it's Unbroken. Um, and it's about this um, man that was fastest runner, one of the fastest runners, ends up being um, a prisoner of war in Japan during World War II. And um, how the Lord works on forgiveness, works on his heart. But you can see in his life how God God was calling him, God was speaking to him, and God kept him safe. So it is an incredible story of what people can go through. And it's horrible. I would never want it. Like it's like it's like you know one or two days of what he went through. It's um it's unbelievable um what the human body and spirit can go through. Um but it's an incredible story just of this man's life. So that's the one I just read and then um it's these kind of old books of that you can find them like the old heroes christian hero books right so i love hearing reading biographies and listening to biographies because you can see the ups and downs in people's lives right rather than sometimes a book is like on faith but it's a season of faith right when you read a biography you see that there's these ups and downs right and it's not always like um highs right um and it's not always lows it's like there's these seasons where it's like really good and uh, challenging but you see god coming through so that one's um that was a really great book to listen to so 
I'm sure this is available in the States, but in Canada through our local library, our library has this app called Hoopla and I yeah. and there is just a plethora of audiobooks. So actually all these Christian hero ones you can find usually on Hoopla through your oh, local library. Um, yeah. That's yeah, pretty it's pretty awesome. That. Yeah. And it's cool. It's just amazing hearing different um different missionary stories, right? So but that was the latest one I was listening to. And just to kind of hear what people have gone through, it's just, it, it actually, it does toughen you up a little bit in your whole life, right? Because you realize, like, I really do have nothing to complain about, right, compared to yeah. this, yes. right? Like, things are not bad. <laughs> we can make I it through. I think that so. Unbroken book, I think that's one that Angelina Jolie made the movie. That's right. Of, and I never yeah. saw it. And there was also a documentary at the same time. I'm going to watch yeah. it because I heard it was It's a powerful movie. movie so. I think yeah. I showed you, didn't I, when we were there, the To End All Wars with Kiefer Sutherland. That was the YWAM um, founder's son, David Cunningham, directed it. And it was that one where they were in the prisoner of war camp. And, yeah, it was – I watched that multiple times. I think it's on Prime or Netflix right now. It, it's, you see that it's all about forgiveness, too, in the, the war camp. But, ugh, like, yeah, you wouldn't wish that upon anyone. But like you said, when people have a faith – they can get through so much more when they have, you know, God's spirit in them. Yeah. Yeah. I probably pronounced his last name wrong, but it is, it's a great book, I think. And that was the movie there that um, Angelina Jolie did. So, and he came back to, I think, his faith through Billy Graham. So it's amazing how, like, you know, like, sometimes we're like all these big evangelists, like, you never know. So I think that's, it's a great thing. Um, probably side note right but let's as we do all do our part right it's amazing how god god can reach different individuals so so true hi thank you so much for listening please like and subscribe to the seeker of truth podcast and also visit our website, seekeroftruth.co, for more information about all of our guests and how you can hear more from them. I pray this conversation encouraged, uplifted, and inspired you to pursue truth at a deeper level.